0: We are in this series called The Big Book Cover to Cover, and today we land in the book of Proverbs, Wisdom for the Ages. Uh, We've talked about some of this, uh, lest I seem repetitious, but there is some method in my madness uh, to remind you of the organization of this book you hold in your hands um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon are typically grouped as a package that are called either poetic or wisdom literature. And uh, not to split hairs, but I want you to keep in mind when we got through the first and second books, King's uh, Chronicles, Samuel, King's Chronicles, um, there was essentially a history going on of the Jewish people. This is how God chose Abram, the covenant promises, and how it unfolds. And by the time, we're, of course, we're in the divided kingdom, we're having civil war, and things are falling apart. Judges is the dark chapter. So we're getting, in, in essence, a history of the Jewish people and God's working with them. When we come to this corpus, this body of literature we call wisdom or poetic, we're no longer in any kind of linear time frame. Uh, this is sort of a different. a different body of literature. Um, The beauty of it is obvious in that we have the poetic aspects, the psalm aspects, but the structure is what captivates most students. Uh, To be a little more precise, Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, I would call wisdom literature more than poetic. And that's splitting hairs a little bit, but you don't have the same, let's call it lilt, and structure and cadence and things we talked about before, meter we might use. Rhyme, of course, is not found in, in the Hebrew Old Testament, much less English. So we're looking at this body of literature that is communicating wisdom at its core, where Psalms is obviously poetic. Song of Solomon is obviously a lot of poetry interfolded with wisdom. Not to split uh, too fine a point, but just for you to keep this in mind, how you look at the Bible. People say it's a big book, it contradicts itself, it's too hard to read. It really isn't. And the more you expose yourself to it, the more time you spend looking at these large, you know, overviews. Oh, I see why now we're in a different kind of literature, why this is important, and why in some respects it's easier as we study it and transfer it. At the most basic level, of course, uh, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Wisdom is a big word. means a lot of things. We're going to look at that. But I want you to keep in mind the word wit. Because really, there is a tremendous amount of humor in the book of Proverbs. And wisdom is compact in witticisms. And that's why, as Christy led the, the Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, many of you know that. You may not know the reference or the address, but you know parts of it. Many of you know faithful are the wounds of a friend. Many of you know some of these little witticisms. Uh, Dr. Charles Ryrie, who uh, some of you might have a Ryrie study Bible, taught at uh, the seminary I attended for many, many years, passed away in recent years. But Ryrie had this thesis. He was a very difficult professor, very difficult guy. I mean, very difficult. And, uh, but he had this thing, if you can't communicate the principle to a child, you're failing which is why I so appreciate Phil's comment. He learns more from Christy than me. I get that, you know. If you can't communicate the principle to a child, you're failing. And when you tell area di- academic scholars that, and they use big words and nomenclature, think about legalese. When's the last time you talked to an attorney, God help you? You know, forgive me if you're an attorney. Uh, but there's a whole set of vocabulary. Good physicians have a whole set of vocabulary, in the medical field. You've got to explain it to the rest of us. Solomon was the wisest man on the planet. And he spoke in wit. So it underscores uh, information. You don't have to be an academic to learn. The person who teaches, it's his or her responsibility to communicate in such a fashion that you are learning. Now, certainly wisdom and, and big words and big vocabulary can be taught. It's not that we all speak in third grade language, but you have to explain it on the way. If you use a word like salvific, you better define that in a sentence or many people aren't going to know what that means. So the book of Proverbs is a distillation and, and why many people like me and probably you love it so much is because it's so compact and there's so much in it that it, you can come back again and again and again. Now, largely written by Solomon. We'll look at some of the contributors briefly, but at its basic level, it's a book of wisdom, Through witticism and parallelisms. And we'll talk more about that to a degree. In in Psalms, we talked about parallelisms, and I tried to show you a chiasm, and some, I talked to people earlier, some loved it, something, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. That's fine. Um, It's just a way of looking carefully, and I'll show you some in Proverbs that maybe will make it a little easier. It's a literary style. The word Proverbs is from a Hebrew word, which is a little cumbersome to translate, and it's more than likely it's a byword. Proverbs means a byword. Uh, if, If you were to drill down deeply into it, it would be compared to something. And if you have to memorize figures of speech when you took some literature course in high school or college, I remember I went to a all boys prep school and we had this list. I forget how many, but it was, it, That's why Catholics believe in purgatory, no offense intended. I mean, there's so much stuff. And we had to memorize all these foils and all these different things. And there were subsets to them. And that that was our test was how many figures of speech we could recall and define. Um, the, The simplest figure of speech is a simile. A simile. Proverbs 623. The commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. The commandment is a lamp. The teaching is a light. Commandment and teaching are the same word essentially light and lamp are similar terms it's just a simple parallel it's a way of restating it restatement is more powerful than repetition repetition has a place how many of your children have to memorize the multiplication chart still in school What, what, what grade do they do that in about third grade um I always struggled at the nines. My mind just hit the wall at the nines. And so I had to go over and over and over and over flashcards as a kid. Do any of you still use your fingers once in a while to do math? I know a person that's really smart in math, and occasionally I've seen her use her fingers. And I just laugh. But we had to, there's no restatement of multiplication tables. It's repetition. You have to learn. So what do we do? We put it to music. When you teach your children ABCs, you put it to music. One to ten, you, t- you put it to music, and you're instructing them. Well, wisdom literature is simply, at the, at the highest level, similes. This is like this. This is like that. The proverb Christy pointed out about darts and you know, fiery things that are thrown are like words that are said, a subtext of sarcasm and hurt and deception. Let me read from Ken Boa and Bruce Wilkinson's Talk Through the Bible. I know a number of you have purchased this, and it's unlike any book I have found simply because it gives an overview of every book of the Bible and some intertestamental help. But this is what Boa and Wilkinson write. Proverbs is perhaps the most practical book in the Old Testament because it teaches wisdom, literally skillful living, in the multiple aspects of everyday life. In short, pithy statements maxims and stories solomon and other contributors set forth about 900 proverbs inspired precepts dealing with wisdom and folly pride and humility justice and vengeance laziness and work poverty and wealth friends and neighbors um, love and lust anger and strife masters and servants life and death these maxims are not theoretical, but practical. They're easily memorized, timeless truths that touch on every facet of human relationships. Now, I love this last line, reading a proverb takes only a few seconds. Applying a proverb can take a lifetime. And that's why I love the morning by morning new verses I read axiom. Every time you go back you're going to see things differently. Uh, Many of you have been around the Bible and faith long enough where you've used Proverbs as a reading plan where you read one chapter a day, and that way you go through the book in 12 months. 31 chapters in Proverbs, on the 30 and uh, 28 day months, you read a couple extra ones. But it, it takes probably, for I would say if you're in this room, you could read one chapter of Proverbs in less than four minutes. It does not take long. You read it aloud, it takes a bit longer. And what I did for years was I would read it, and one or two would jump off the page at me. And that was the one I, in olden days, I would put on 3 by five-card. I would magic tape it on my car when I drove to college, to classes, back and forth to work. And you can memorize all kinds of proverbs uh, very easily, uh, just through simple repetition, reading one chapter a day. If you've never done it before, it's it's delightful. And I promise you, one of them will jump off the page at you. Now, when it comes to outlining and looking at proverbs. Um, again unless this is in your wheelhouse it doesn't really matter i'm going to show you a scheme it's eight sections i know some of you take pictures of these slides that's fine i don't want you to worry about this you can't outline proverbs is the problem you just can't outline it uh one of my co-pastors when i was in northern virginia dc area said i'm convinced solomon spilt the manuscript on the way to the publisher Uh, There's a little more organization to it than that, and this is one scheme, and I'm just going to walk through them quickly. The first seven verses of chapter 1, and we're going to look at these in some detail, give the preface, the author obviously, the purpose and the theme. Then we have Solomon's wisdom, and these aren't necessarily the parallelisms you see throughout the book. Some of them are more of a story or a longer illustration or a longer simile, if you will, and then by chapter 10, we get into the technical Proverbs, where we get these parallels. Sometimes they're triplets, sometimes they they go back and forth through the chapter by the fourth large say of wives men sayings, so they're referenced to a larger audience. Then interestingly, in chapters twenty-five to twenty-nine, most people missed this. And these headings are in your Bible, by the way. This is Hezekiah's recording. Of Solomon's. Oh, by the way, so uh, you know what the term "cutting room floor" means. You know, in the old days when they literally used razors to cut tape and film, uh, whether it was audio or film, the cutting room floor—what was left, parts that were edited out. Now, Pro Tools does it all in the background; you don't even know what you're doing. But in in, in prior to Pro Tools, you cut tape and you cut film and you spliced it together. So think of this as Hezekiah's cutting room floor. He's picking up things he's heard Solomon say, and he's reorganizing. So they're still attributed to Solomon, but they were an aggregate of what Hezekiah put together. Then we have some individuals, Agar in chapter 30, Lemuel in chapter 31. And then we have this outlier passage I'm going to talk about in a few moments, the so-called worthy woman, the last uh, chapter, 31 verses 10 to 30. Again, it's not an outline. It's not meant to be forced on the text. It's just a way of thinking about this body of literature that is unique in the Bible. It's not like any other book we have, and so it you know, causes us to, t- to ask some questions why. Um, terms. The, the book is a goldmine for People that like to do Bible study, word studies. Uh, wisdom, of course, is the primary term in its different variegated forms. About 145 times it shows up in the 31 chapters. The word wise is the derivative, about 45 to 47 times, depending on your English Bible you use. Knowledge, 82. I won't go down the list, but the point is, there are some terms that are they're fitting to this discussion of what's wisdom and we're going to get to that in a second. Wisdom is personified as she. I am struck how many people miss this who know the Bible very well. I don't have slides, but if you have your Bible and you turn over to Proverbs 8 and 9, I'm just going to show you very quickly three verses in Proverbs 8 and in Proverbs 9 to show you this, and you're going to go, oh, well, of course, I've seen that a thousand times. Proverbs 8, does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice on the top heights beside the way where the paths meet she takes her stand beside the gates at the opening of the city at the entrance of the door she cries out If you go, when you go to Israel, we'll take you maybe into the old city. And uh, when you see any ancient city that really hasn't changed much, except for storefronts and maybe some paver stones here and there, this is first-century stuff you're walking on. Any elevation around these little cardos, these little segments, you think of a person at top talking, and this is the picture the Hebrews getting. Wisdom shouting at you. She's calling at you. She's in the streets of the city. She's everywhere. Look at 9, chapter 9, the first three verses. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens from the tops of the heights of the city. So again, it's a personification. Wisdom is she. And this is so important in understanding the conflict within the book of Proverbs. The adulteress is a woman. Now, is the book only about an older man talking to his son about watching out for loose women? No. And you've got to step back on the literature and ask, what is the author doing? She is the personification of wisdom in comparison and contrast to the adulteress. Wisdom looks like this, using women's descriptions. Adultery, evil, unrighteous, looks like this. So it's the most obvious thing you have to keep in mind when you open the pages of Proverbs that she is per, a personification of wisdom or of the rebellious, the wicked, the adulteress. By the way she's cunning, she's boisterous, she's rebellious, she lurks, she entices, she seduces. So does that mean uh, the book only applies to men? Of course not. It's just common biblical sense. It's a picture, it's a way of describing. Back to the beginning, this is what it's like. Let's explain it in common language so people will understand it. She does this. Uh, Unwise, wicked, sinful, she does this. So that's the big thing you have to keep in mind. Now, as a sidebar, And one of, a little bit of my pet peeves, I'm not mad about it, I'm just discouraged. Uh, Proverbs 31, 10 to 31 is, and and with no ill intent, ministries call themselves Proverbs 31 ministries. And I'm not mad at them, it's just a bad decision. Uh, There there is no uh, biblical wonder woman. Uh, As a woman, if you grew up and you're going to be a Proverbs 31 wife, you know, I mean, for goodness sakes, what a burden to lay on someone. And by the way, where's the Proverbs 32 man? (laughs) Right? Think about this. All the instruction is going to this guy. and It wouldn't make any sense. The last 20 verses or so be, you know, this is what a woman looks like. It's the personification of a woman. It's the crescendo of the book. This is what wisdom looks like. She gets up early, she works hard, she takes care of her family, she invests, she's good with her money. That's wisdom. Make sense? And, and when I first learned this it was like it, the light just blew up in my head. And again I've read some of these blogs and there's some people making lots of money on Proverbs 31 women's ministries in churches. I'm not anti that, it's just not accurate. It's a misapplication. You should have a Proverbs 31 man and woman ministry. It's not taking a woman and saying, you're a godly woman if you do all these things. I mean, for goodness sakes, reading through it, you're worn out, much less doing it. Uh, so, not to, not to be over, you know, condescending. I don't want to be. I may be. I don't want to be. Uh, but there's no perfect woman out there that's a Proverbs 31 woman. And where's the Proverbs 32 man would be my question. So, it's a summation. This is what wisdom looks like. Keep in mind wisdom is personified as a she over juxtaposed against a woman who's not wise. Make sense? So we're not picking on sexist. This isn't a sexist man named Solomon. Get over your political correctness, fragility. This isn't about this. This is the way literature is used in the Old Testament to explain what does wisdom look like. Lots of other key terms, understanding, instruction, admonition, discipline, and all these forms that are around the idea of how does one attain wisdom. Um, Wisdom, the simplest way the author is going to explain this is a path or a way. And you're going to see it throughout the book. You walk in a path. You go down this way. Don't go down when the woman entices you sure, that makes common sense literally, but the biblical theological sense is don't make a poor choice. I don't know if you've thought in your own spiritual life, and I I probably overthink things too much, um, but when I sin I stop and study why I sinned. And that may sound weird, but I think you need to be a student of when and why you sin. What, What Enabled you, provoked you, pushed you over the edge to do that thing. Because to me, there's there's some wisdom and understanding when you're vulnerable, when you're more likely to put yourself in a bad situation. Um, so, so for example, if a person is into pornography, if a person is into anger or deception or lying, what triggered it that you got angry and you got mean? What triggered it that you turned to porn? What triggered it that you flirted with a coworker? What triggered it? Fill in the blank. And we've talked about this before. I don't like the pop psychology, the hungry, angry, lonely, tile, the HALT acronym. They teach addicts don't go, out, don't go out if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired because you'll use. And there's some common sense principle to that. You know, you want to be full. So your relationships are important. The people you hang with are important. The people that encourage you spiritually, your tribe, your community, the, those people need to shoulder you up so that when you go out, you're not as susceptible to those temptations. The book of Proverbs makes it as clear as day. There's the right way and the wrong way. And can we be transparently honest and go, every one of us knows when we choose to sin. We all know when we make the choice to sin. And we do it because we know a little bit too much about the Bible. We know 1 John 1.9. We know that he'll always forgive us. We know that if we confess, He'll always forgive us. And this is why Paul so tenaciously says, Shall I continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be! We're misunderstanding this. We're free from the guilt and punishment of sin to live the right way. Paul picks up the metaphor of a worthy walk. It's a path. It's a choice every day we all make. I shared this story perhaps in this room, as I get older they run together, so forgive me, but repetition's a good learner. So um, uh, uh, Dottie Britton was